Welcome to Indie Isles, the movie and TV podcast gift that keeps on giving. I'm James Rothwell. And I'm Daniel Acton. This week, we'll be talking about what we've been watching. We'll talk about the Christmas films we've been watching. We'll talk some real news. And for our main review, it's Fat Man starring Mel Gibson. And not to interrupt the flow of your intro there, James, but I've also brought in a little Christmas quiz for you. So you can embarrass yourself. Yep, I'm happy to embarrass myself. Good. 30 episodes in, I think we've, I've been doing that the whole time. But before we get into all that, James, ho, ho, how are you? I'm looking forward to getting my Christmas gifts, which makes me want to ask you, what's the worst Christmas gift you've ever had? This is a complete no-brainer. As part of a secret Santa a few years back in the office, back in the olden days when we used to work in offices, I went a bit all out. I didn't. I knew who my secret Santa was because obviously that's imperative, really, to the whole process. They just don't know who you are. But I didn't know mine and gets to Christmas Day, open it up, and it's a bottle of sake. Is that how you say it? Yeah, it's close enough. Okay, that'll do. That was half drunk. What's that about? So did it stumble out of the wrapping all slow in its speech? And, oh, you mean half consumed, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's that's what I meant. That's I, I don't even know if they were thinking, oh, isn't this funny? Or this is someone with quite a deep-seated alcohol problem that just thought, no, while I'm wrapping all these presents, I've got to get through this. I'm going to have a swig. But I didn't find it funny because I thought, I don't, I don't want to even have a bit of this that you might have wrapped your mouth around, mate, whoever it may have been. That's not good at all. And drinking half a bottle of sake, that's a lot of alcohol. They must have been wasted if they did that all at once. Maybe they drank half of it, forgotten, and then packed it up thinking it was full. Well, sozzled or not, the wrapping was up to scratch. So I can only imagine that they were sober when they did it. But anyway, I didn't find it funny. Thanks for that. Won't won't be putting the same time and effort into your secret Santa. Should I ever get you again, Mr. Beep? Because I did find out who it was, because I was livid. James, what about you? What's your worst Christmas gift? Funnily enough, there's a thematic connection, because this took place in Japan. When I screwed myself into getting the worst Christmas gift ever, it was the end of Christmas party for the teachers at school, and everyone buys a gift and puts it on this slightly raised stage. Then everyone picks a gift off the stage. I just picked the biggest gift available. It was a huge box about the height of a three-year-old child, width of a very fat three-year-old child. Biggest one, got to be good. Picked it up, opened it. It was about 30 rolls of toilet paper. And I did this in front of all my teacher colleagues. I was totally tricked. And I was told afterwards, you were tricked. That's the point. You're supposed to get something that will suck people in. And you got sucked in. By a classic trick. Pre-pandemic gifting. I don't think that'd go down very well today. If you gifted someone 30 toilet rolls, probably be accused of stockpiling and nicking off the masses. Well, if I'd have kept that gift, it could have appreciated in value. I could have sold it for £300. But speaking of Christmas, James, what are your plans? Are you do is, is it all up in the air this year? Are you doing anything different? Staying at home with my wife. My wife. <laughs> <laughs> Just the two of us. We can make it. If we try, just the two of us, her and I. What about you? 
we we will be entertaining a possible infection and inviting my father and his missus round for Christmas Day just for breakfast, and then we've decided to pay through the nose from a local restaurant and order a Christmas Day dinner that you just bang in the oven. But like I say, it's pretty pricey, but it's worth it. Must be better than the uh, Christmas tree pizzas that we had from Asda a few years back when we decided to stay in. I'll give you the verdict on that in the new year. I really don't want to hear a story about you burning this entire Christmas dinner in one go. (laughs) All in the oven all at once, all ruined. We'll see. We'll see what tales come off the back of that. Shall we see what tales we've been watching on a variety of streaming services this week? By all means, let's. This week, my little stocking filler is The Wilds, which is Amazon's latest original series, which it turns out isn't that original. The setup is a bunch of female passengers find themselves stranded on a mysterious island, which is uninhabited, following a plane crash. And then you get to learn more about each of the survivors through a series of flashbacks. If that doesn't ring any bells for you, it does sound very Lost-esque in its plot and the narrative storytelling. With the main differentiator being, this is purely focused on a bunch of women. Also, thus far, there's nothing supernatural going on. So that's a bit of a difference there as well. The fact that this is female-centric in terms of the cast, it allows it to explore themes and ideas from the female perspective with not a man in sight to offer an opposing opinion. That's not quite true for example the first episode centers on one of our protagonists entering a relationship with an older man and seeing how that affects her and what i liked about that particular episode is it's not a scathing attack on men she is underage but it's not making any judgment on him i thought that was quite a refreshing perspective in the climate that we're in today if you see the episode you'll know exactly what i mean i'm not excusing that behavior but the way that it sets it up is quite balanced you'll know what i mean when you've seen it The second episode touches on like body image and one of the girls battling bulimia. And I've only got as far as the first two episodes, but on the face of it, each of the characters on the island represents some sort of stereotype that you've seen in many TV shows or films before it. So you've got like the athletic type and her introverted younger sister who lives in a shadow, the bookworm intellectual amongst the group, the pretty pageant princess, etc. Even though it uses those archetypes, it's not as lazy as it might appear. So as mentioned, they take this episodic approach to giving us background to flesh out the characters in each episode. And it adds extra layers of complexity to some of the events that take place on the island and why characters react or behave in the way that they do. Alongside all that, without giving too much away, there's something more sinister going on. Perhaps there's a reason that they're all there are there other forces at work, but not supernatural, because I've said that's not where it looks to be headed. Might be wrong. Again, you might gather from that, very reminiscent of Lost. You understand that you don't take what's going on at face value. There's something more mysterious afoot. I've enjoyed what I've seen so far. It's not got the best IMDb rating in the world. They can't seem to catch a break at the minute, Amazon. I don't know why. Between this and Utopia, they've just been review-bombed. Anyway, I like it. I'm going to stick with it. And and I'm in firm hope that this might become what we all hoped Lost could have been. I would recommend giving it a go so far. We watched the first half of the first episode and the lit main... (laughs) (laughs) You liked it then. (laughs) 
And the main character says, being on this island was hell. She turns to camera, doesn't she, and says, but the real hell was being a teenage girl in America. And I thought, you're not at risk of being kidnapped by Boko Haram. So can't be that bad. And then turned it off. (laughs) (laughs) What else have you been watching? Up until a day before recording, my watch list consisted of Inside Poundland, The Secrets of the Shop Floor. And that was it. <laughs> and I thought, I can't, I, can't, I can't review that on the podcast. I just can't. So I just had to rinse as much as I could. Next on my watch list was We Are the Champions on Netflix. And I want to say that there's a definition of a, there's nothing else to watch, so I'll put this on type of show. This is that show. Don't let that put you off because, well, I'll come on to it, but it's the ultimate tea time program. If you're like a modern family and you've done away with the traditional sit around the table when you're eating your evening meal sort of etiquette, then you're like me. Cozy up in front of the TV, ignore each other because you shouldn't be talking with your mouth full and watch something together. And I really do think there's a place for this because do you do you ever sit down just as you've made tea or maybe you're not that type of person, but then you sit down and you go, what have we got to watch? Have we got anything to watch? And you realise you, you have nothing. Yeah, not during tea time, but yeah, we do have that conversation where I realise we've got nothing. So I, we, we have this quite regularly where we, we'll find that we don't want to watch something that's pretty taxing, that's going to demand like your full-blown attention. You don't want to carry on a TV show that you've already started because it goes on for a little longer than you've got time for because you're doing something else straight after tea. And similarly, you don't want something overwhelmingly shit that's a complete waste of your time. You want something in between. Welcome to We Are The Champions. It's a playful documentary from Netflix about the weird and wonderful world of competitive sport. It's 30 minutes an episode, all completely independent subject matter, so you can watch them in whatever order you want. First episode, it's about cheese rolling. Are you familiar with this tradition of cheese rolling? Yes, the cheese rolling down the hill, run after it, roll down the hill, break your legs. (laughs) Indeed, that's it, pretty much summed up. I I knew of it vaguely, but I'd never really seen it in practice, so... Yeah, loads of people throwing the way down a hill, treacherous hillside, chasing after a piece of cheese. Next episode is a lot of absolute mentalists eating chilies competitively on stage, near enough being sick every single round. And you watch this group just devouring these ridiculously hot chilies, which have never been tasted before, because the guy who started this competition He's cross-pollinated all these chilies with some of the hottest known in the world, which have never been tested by anyone. And what I loved about this is really, it's really interesting to see people put themselves in harm's way for pretty trivial reasons. I enjoyed it for that. It's completely inoffensive. Obviously, there's an element of like poking fun at the ridiculousness of it all, but it's never really judgmental and it feels quite sincere in its admiration for what these people do. I'm not professing that it's any sort of spellbinding investigative journalism. It's not at all. But it's pleasant to watch, and to an extent, it's quite heartwarming. If anything, it made me long for a bit of normalcy in the world. You see like groups and crowds of people gathered together, and I thought, that is so far removed from where we're at at the minute that, God, just to reach that point again would be a wonder. Yeah, I really, really enjoyed it. If you've got 20 to 30 minutes that you've, you've got a void and you need to fill it, this is that show, I would definitely give it a go. 
I was tempted by that as well. I watched a real life chili eating competition once and they make them sign a waiver in case they die. Real, well, I wondered that. I said to my partner at the time, I was like, is this not dangerous? Because you see these people like more or less spasming on stage. And I thought this, this can't be healthy. James, fill us in. What have you been watching in the last week? I have watched Raised by Wolves. Raised by Wolves is a British sitcom that aired on Channel 4 a few years ago. It was written by Caitlin Morin and her sister Caroline Morin. And the first thing to note about this is that Caitlin Morin is a journalist and author who seems to have written these two really good seasons of TV and then gone back to being a full-time journalist and author. And it really shows because the writing is airtight, it's rich, and most importantly, it is funny. It's very funny. It's about three sisters being raised by an unconventional single mother in Wolverhampton. I always struggle to talk about comedy, so I don't know why I keep bringing them up. The tone is set early on. The mother says, we're not southern twats, we're not northern twats, we're midlands twats. And that sets up this very lovable realistic that authentic vulgar family it's full of pop culture references to films and and books that makes these young sisters more mature than their age i'm really glad that i came across it by accident i've binged all of season one or series one if you want to see some relatively new content that's fully available to binge on all four or amazon prime video definitely check it out anything else on the watch list i have watched Raised by Wolves, which is the Ridley Scott executive produced sci-fi series that was released one or two months ago on HBO Max. And it's come to the UK at last. If you have any interest in science fiction, AI, alien worlds, watch it, watch it. I binged all 10 episodes this week. Like you've often said, it's in my wheelhouse. It's in my wheelhouse. This is so much more than I thought it would be. It's about two androids raising children on another planet after humanity has abandoned the Earth. But they're interrupted by a rival faction of humans who arrive later. And it's a battle between the atheist androids and the humans who are part of the Mithraic religion. It's got a massive budget. The scale of it is very rare for TV. I thought from the way things are set up in the first episode, that it would be actors wandering around this barren landscape making a farm in this one part of this planet. But there are flashbacks to the war on Earth that's a bit like the Terminator war with the machines. And there are scenes on spaceships, there's action, there's exploding heads. So the scope is quite large. The costumes as well, the Mithraic people, they're this mix between priests, Templar knights, modern special forces, military, spacemen. The costumes are just very interesting. It's pure science fiction. I, I loved it. I loved it. It deals with the evolution of AI, mothers and fathers, the nature of religious belief and faith, but the characters don't sit and lecture each other about those things, like in some of the recent Ridley Scott alien Prometheus films. You watch the characters become believers or lose the faith and you watch the androids become more human and you're just left to think for yourself about those questions so i've seen some reviews that say it doesn't delve too deeply into it but the way i saw it was that this deep stuff is playing out and you can just watch it and think in your own head as it slowly unfolds amanda collin who plays 
the mother android is phenomenal in this the physicality of the performance that very difficult balance of being an android who's becoming more human is awesome and i'm very happy that season two has been announced strong recommend from this and this hbo max so they've delivered something to us and it's good that almost throws my argument last week about HBO Max content appearing on Sky out the window, but uh, glad to hear it. This is um, something I've wanted to watch for a very long time. I just wanted to ask, and I know you can't really give me a full answer without delving into it. I was listening to another podcast and they were really, really hot on this, but apparently the ending just completely kiboshed all the positivity that they had for it beforehand. Is that something that you can attest to or do you just not know what I'm talking about when I've said that? Things get a bit messy with different characters splitting off and allegiances changing. It got a bit hard to follow. I thought it was fine. I enjoyed it. Things happen in the final episode that make it clear there's so much more to come in the future. And I can't wait. I cannot wait. It was like watching an adaptation of a science fiction novel on screen. Just really good ideas in it. Good world building. Well, not not to completely point out that this podcast is not worth your time or effort but i was tainted by that review that i heard and just thought i'm not going to watch it then but given your fine word james i'm gonna do quite the opposite and i'm gonna give that a go because i was quite you know geared up for it beforehand so thank you for that it's good even though half the cast are children that was a big worry for me but the kids are all right as they say To extend the watch list further, James, we made a festive agreement last week that we would gift each other the gift of cinema. And I would recommend my favourite Christmas film and you in turn would do the same. So let's cut through all this British politeness, James. I recommended to you A Muppet Christmas Carol. Now let's decide, do you accept and appreciate this gift or do you want to return it? I accept and appreciate the gift of Muppet's Christmas Carol, thank you. I went into it wanting it to make me an emotional wreck because I know the story, obviously. It's the Muppets. I know there's heart-wrenching things, but that didn't quite happen. Didn't quite happen. I did like the opening shot of the miniature of London, though. That was very good. The craft, the love that went into it, that was nice. Not Tiny Tim is the classic line, I imagine, when Michael Caine's looking through the window at Kermit's family. That was touching. And I did laugh. I did laugh. The best joke, I thought, was... When Scrooge's headmaster says something like, Scrooge, you'll learn the American way, but then Dickens whispers in his ear and he says, you'll learn the British way. The Marley brothers, the two old men with the chains when they were singing, they were they were funny. Overall, yeah, I did like it, but the problem is I've never liked the Muppets. I've never watched them, never cared about them. It's an American thing to me, like Sesame Street or Massive Election Fraud. I fully expect... Americans would shrug their shoulders at Sooty and Sweep, for example. So didn't quite hit me in the feels because I'm not a Muppets guy, but can't deny the joy, the happiness that is there. I thought this was seen widely as the best definitive version of the Christmas Carol story, but I went on Rotten Tomatoes. It seems like that maybe isn't the case, but it must surely be one of the best versions of this story. Michael Caine is brilliant in this. I wasn't expecting him to turn in such a serious, rounded, full-on bit of acting in this Muppets film. So really, really enjoyed him. Overall, would recommend. I suppose it goes without saying, really. I think you've already answered this. Had you seen it before? No, I'd not seen it before. Impeccably produced. Do not think it's, it's very, very well stitched together. Stitched together. 
because of yeah. you know what I'm saying, fabric puppets and whatnot. Can I ask you? You recommended this to me as your favorite Christmas film. So can you tell me what this means to you? So unlike you, I have a deep, deep relationship with the Muppets. I've always liked them. They've always been part of my life. In fact, one of my first teddy bears, which was ironically not a bear, was Kermit the Frog. And he stuck with me through thick and thin to the point where his eyeball fell off. And I still kept him. I didn't throw him in a cupboard. Also, I kind of like I had this second wave of Muppet nostalgia in the mid-2000s when the Muppets rebooted came out. And I think I've mentioned it on this podcast, but it is one of the most joyous film experiences I've ever had in a cinema. And I think to have that sort of impact on me at the time as a 28-year-old watching the Muppets speaks volumes, really, especially this being a Christmas film. I've just given my affinity towards the Muppets just always stuck with me. That's why I, I like this film so much. And also can't help but quote the line, cheese is for us, Mises, every single year to people who don't know what I'm on about and they think I've had some sort of mental breakdown, but I do it regardless. So I gave you the early 90s gothic classic Tim Burton's Nightmare in Gotham City Batman Returns. What did you think? You text me that this is what you were gifting me. I It was probably a bit too much, but I texted you back. Love you. Thank you. Because I, I really wanted to revisit this film. I have such fond memories of watching it. I say that. I, it's not quite accurate, actually. I'll come on to it in a bit. I'm a huge fan of Batman, and I have been for many years. And it's like I say, it's been so many years since I've seen it. But my memory of it, surprisingly, has held up pretty well. My memory is awful, but there's such inspired imagery within this film that's just it's a testament to the visual identity of it it's just it's ingrained in my brain and i thought oh i remember this i remember this all the way through and i don't find that i feel that way about many films but tim burton really has took it upon himself to make gotham city feel like a real place in its own right within batman returns it's got this otherworldly charm to it where things are over stylized to give it some sort of comic book aesthetic but it's interesting to put this against the first Batman film from 1989 because I think that was a very dark film, almost too literally. You had so many scenes just submerged in darkness and it was missing that comic book element, I think. But with this, with Batman being the commercial success it was, I think he felt like he could take things a bit further. This is a lot heavier on the camp element of it and all the better for it i think my partner actually who'd never seen it she said it's a bit cheesy isn't it it's not the word i'd use like i said when i first watched this i think i must have been about nine or ten and there were some bits that gave me nightmares and i think even now looking at it as 35 year old there's some pretty disturbing scenes that i'm not surprised they gave me nightmares as a nine or ten year old you have like Selena Kyle having a psychotic breakdown after she starts this transition into becoming Catwoman and tearing her apartment to pieces that's quite disturbing. You have a bit where, and this is the bit that did stick in my nightmares, like I couldn't sleep for days after this, but you know when she like claws one of the thugs with her claws, basically, and cuts into his face? That was horrific for me as a child. And then you've got the penguin biting a PR guy's nose off, which is quite graphic. It's got to be said, this is not a children's film. The 15 rating should speak to itself, really. But a lot of people go, it's Batman. Of course it's a family film. It's not. Do not show this to anyone below at least 14, maybe 12. 
12 air i'd rate it today anyway having mentioned those two villains there's some really iconic performances in this that have stood the test of time danny devito as the penguin is the best most incidental casting i've ever seen he really grabs the role by the flippers and makes it his own he's creepy he's disturbing in equal measure i absolutely love it michelle pfeiffer as catwoman she's brilliant as well she's really charismatic and menacing I think this is an example of a film that can really stand the test of time. 30 years on, I really do feel like it works. And more to that point, there's some really good practical effects and stunt work. Some of the camera play is really interesting as well. I don't know if you remember, but you know the scene with the Batarang where he like pre-populates, I'm going to hit these five people with it, and he throws it towards them, and the camera follows it, hitting every single person around yeah, him. Yeah, and the dog catches it. Yeah. Yeah. I just didn't expect that from it, given that it's nearly 30 years old. And first, when you said it, I thought, Christmas film? Really? But I think there's more than enough nods to the festive period for it to qualify. Burton's Gotham is like just littered with Christmas lights, trees, snow. I just loved revisiting this. To summarise, I thank you for my gift. I was just a bit pissed off that you didn't pay for the Now TV subscription I had to purchase to watch it. But yeah, thanks. You're welcome. What does it mean to you, James, your favourite Christmas film? Why do you hold this in such high regard? Well, I have quite a deep relationship with Batman. I've always liked Batman, and Batman was one of my first toys, and I still have a Batman toy that's based on the animated series design. So I revisited this as well, and as soon as that Danny Elfman score hit, I thought, oh my God, this is it. I'm so up for this. I love it. And I agree with you. A lot of the images stick in your mind. So I was thinking, what is my memory of this film? But as I watched it, I realised I remember basically everything that happens in it. Catwoman's backflip, the meow exploding building, penguin eating the fish, Batman having his huge wing extension and then flying down. It's all iconic. Gotham City, like you say, as a character. I remember I watched this film so many times when I was younger because I, I just loved Batman and for me this was the best one. Batman 89 is the fan favourite but I always preferred Batman Returns. What I had forgotten is how little action there is. I think there's maybe only two scenes of Batman fighting thugs hand to hand. I'm on the same page as you with that by the way. I think this is the far superior film to Batman. I think there's just so much more to it. This probably a meat point doesn't need to be brought up. But you know when the penguins are in Penguin's Lair and he's got all his cohorts around him, I thought, you wouldn't see this shot today. You wouldn't see live penguins on a set with someone with a gunshot going off next to them, probably because of animal rights and whatnot. But still, I found it just really interesting to go, look at the time and effort that went into this. Please tell me they are actually penguins now. And I'm not sure they, they look like it. They look like penguins, yeah. Tim Burton prefers this one. He said that Batman 89 was a little bit boring. And apparently the studio execs were shocked and not happy with the result because it's such a subversive film. Mm. But it is classic. It is a classic. Me, ever so slightly more positive on your gift. I've got to go back to the drawing board, basically, and just think, what do I have to give you next year that you're going to be a bit more thankful for, I guess? That's the learning that I take from this. Okay, it's a learning moment. I was, I was positive overall, positive overall. I enjoyed it. I'm still thankful. Yeah, signed it then. Someone who is not thankful is Christopher Nolan. Shall we talk about real news? It's the real thing. It is now 
has blasted HBO Max as the worst streaming service by saying that people went to bed at night thinking their films are going to come out in cinemas. But then the next morning, it was all coming out on HBO Max. Can I just say, this Vanity Fair article has the most bizarre opening sentence for this. And I'm quoting here. For a filmmaker rather famously known for holding back when depicting the effects of violence on screen, Christopher Nolan had no trouble drawing blood against his longtime home Warner Brothers on Monday. That is purely to make that sentence work. It doesn't make any sense. So over the top. That's why you want to hear it from two ordinary, untrained amateurs. It's <laughs> <laughs> telling it like it is, telling it straight. Christopher Nolan went mental. He went mental about this. And he said it's financially a bad decision. They didn't tell anyone and everyone's furious and that it's a bait and switch. And of course, because he's all about the cinema experience, he says that all these films deserve to be on the big screen. And he's followed up. He's followed up. What's he said? He's expanded his thoughts and said that it's dangerous for not people like him and Ben Affleck, but the grips, the technicians, the actors that play waiters and have two or three lines and who make a living from that. He's talking about the finer economics of how it might damage the whole business to the point where people will be out of a job, really. And he's saying it's steering everything towards this streaming service at the expense of cinemas, which I'm sure Gal Gadot would rather disagree with because her instagram just like i said her instagram after saying we want you to wait we want you to see it in cinemas please wait we can't wait for you to see this she's now flipped to saying so happy this is on hbo max this is going to be amazing so happy it's finally coming to hbo max but also watch the cinemas if you can and keep safe I'm, i'm so happy it's now being done this way where are you at where's your head at to be honest, if what he's saying is true, and I don't know why he'd lie, but if they've not had the humanity to tell anybody that is affected by this news what the plans were, I think that's downright out of order, to be honest. How can you do that? I suppose you can look at it and say, well, who's the stakeholder in this? It's Warner Brothers. So the answer's to no one. They don't have to tell these people, but it's just common courtesy to say, oh, you know that film that you've spent months and months toiling over and making amendments to yeah it's not going to be in cinemas now tell people that's a bit rude isn't it so i can completely appreciate where he's coming from but at the end of the day although i know there's a second piece to this news story don't think he's got a leg to stand on other than his own opinion this must be quite unprecedented for someone so powerful to come out so vocally against a very powerful studio i know there's people that talk smack about the business like Shia LaBeouf maybe but for Christopher Nolan to come out repeatedly publicly slamming Warner Brothers it undercuts all their positive messaging they might want to have about how wonderful it is to watch all these films for a small subscription fee yeah it's quite damning isn't it what's the second part to this story you just mentioned lawsuits there's lawsuits off the back of this isn't there And this is the bit that I need you to clarify, and I should have done my homework yet again. But Legendary Pictures are suing Warner Brothers off the back of this news. Is Legendary affiliated with Christopher Nolan? It's his production company, is it not? Or have I got that confused? It appears Legendary Pictures is 
actually just a Chinese-owned company that Christopher Nolan's done a lot of films for. Oh, right, okay. And I will further correct myself as well by saying it's not happened yet, but it is entirely possible that this production company will be suing Warner Brothers. Obviously, got quite an invested interest in this because they have the likes of Dune and Godzilla versus Kong coming out over the next year. And again, not happy about this news in the slightest. So they are intending on suing HBO Max, which is... It makes what was initially perceived as a bold move look like a rather rash and ill-informed one, which can't really be helping the case, really. I think they should have thought this through in a lot more detail before they came to press with it. But I don't think this is going to be the end of it, do you, James? I think there's going to be quite a lot off the back of this. I'm sure we'll be discussing something else next week to do with this. And in the interest of being vague, no real quotes to go alongside it, but also James Gunn, who's directing the next Suicide Squad, has come out and said that he's not a fan of this direction either. So, yeah, definitely. There'll be more to this story. Watch this space. In the Isles, annual Christmas quiz. We've only had one year, so whether it becomes annual remains to be seen. James, you're the contestant on this show. I've got 10 questions for you. We're going to see how you fare. Are you ready? I'm ready. Shoot from your hip. Your new hip. Question one. Which toy inspired the film Jingle All The Way? The film in which, obviously, a father struggles to purchase a certain toy for his son at Christmas because it's out of stock everywhere. Tickle me, Elmo. Not not a bad guess, not a bad guess. There was two possible answers for this, but you failed on both counts. Cabbage Patch Dolls or Power Rangers would have been an acceptable answer. Okay. Next question. Question two. One single minute of footage took approximately one week to shoot for which Christmas film? Tim Burton's Nightmare on Elm Street. Nightmare Before Christmas. (laughs) That was the one. Yes, one out of two. Let's hope you're on a roll. This next question, I desperately wanted an answer to, but I couldn't find a clear one. So this answer actually comes from a study that was done in 2015, but I feel like it's still accurate. Which Christmas song has appeared in the most films? White Christmas. Sorry? White White Christmas. I'm dreaming of a white Christmas. I'm, I'm going to give you a tip on this one. Don't think too hard about it. Well, that's just made me think more, so <laughs> I don't know. Okay. The answer is Jingle Bells. Okay. In Elf, what is considered the first rule of the Code of Elves? I've never seen Elf. Um... Right, we'll move on. What is the... This is testing, you know, because you watched this this week. What is the name of the tune sung by Kermit the Frog on Christmas Eve in the Muppet Christmas Carol? Did you watch it? Yeah, I did. I I, I don't... I don't... I mean, I didn't pay that much attention to this. Oh, God. Jingle bells. Jingle bells. (laughs) Good guess. It's right, but it's not the one. That's not what he says, because that's not it, it's not the one. One more sleep till Christmas. Yeah. Which Chris? Yeah. yeah, yeah. 
which Christmas film has been voted as the most inspirational film of all time by the American Film Institute? Not the most inspirational Christmas film, but film in general. It's a Wonderful Life. Yes. Nice. Two out of six, I think. Which actor had to endure torture endurance training to prepare for his titular role in a Christmas film? There's three points here. One for the actor, one for the film, and one for the reason why. Torture training for his role? Torture training for, for the role, yeah. Bruce Willis in Die Hard? Yeah, that's a good guess. Good guess again. Oh. It was Jim Carrey for The Grinch because his makeup took eight and a half hours a day to apply. Wow, okay. Should we just sack this off? Bit more generic now, prone to guesswork, and I'm being kind. Name three of the top ten grossing Christmas films of all time. Love Actually. No. Um, no. Top grossing Christmas films. Fat Man. <laughs> Unfortunately not. I'll take that as a joke answer. I'm not going to class it as a real one. Jingle. Oh. I've got. I've got no idea. I've got absolutely no idea. Well, I won't, I won't run through the top ten, but I do have to say this really surprised me. So I'll go one to five. Number one, The Grinch, being the one that was released two years ago, not the Jim Carrey one the critically panned Benedict Cumberbatch one is the top grossing Christmas film of all time. Did not know that. Okay. Number two, no brainer, Home Alone. You should have answered that. Not to be judgmental, but... Number three, Doctor Seuss's How the Grinch Stole Christmas, the one that I thought would have been up there. Number four, A Christmas Carol. I think that's the Kate Winslet one that nobody remembers, but there you go. And number five, again, not very highly... Perceived at the time, the Polar Express. That's 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 not a good list. That's fake news. That list. It's, it's it's from Wikipedia. It's actual fact. Okay, the Grinch, the Benedict Cumberbatch one at number one. To the nearest hundred million, how much did it gross? Four hundred. Wasn't a bad guess. That five hundred and eleven million. It was. So there you go. Last question, put you out your misery. You're not going to get this one either. What is actually the highest grossing Christmas film of all time, i.e. it wasn't a Christmas film, but it was released at Christmas? Avatar. Iron Man 3 with 1.2 billion. So I think that was 2 out of 10? Yeah. Yeah. You could class your performance as dismal. Well, I, I've, I answered It's a Wonderful Life very confidently, so I'm, I'm pleased with that one. You've got to take the positives in life, and being a podcast special about Christmas, that is exactly what we'll do. Don't dwell on your failures, your many failures in that 10-question quiz. Let's move on, shall we, to our main review. Hello, I'd like to order an opinion, please. This film is new, fresh point of view. Hold me sit back, this is a fact. We in the aisles, here are some aisles. Thoughts in sync, tell you what to think. I'll listen to you, but please don't rap again. This week? Are you, 
You can, yeah, you, you, you do it, you do it, you do it, you do it. You sure? Yeah. This week, our main review is Fat Man. I don't know what I'm doing wrong. I've lost my influence. Maybe it's time I retired the coat. You still have it. Some kids with a deer rifle put two holes in the sleigh, one in me. All I have is a loathing for a world that's forgotten. The United States military would like to procure your services. This is a one-time deal, gentlemen. How are you, Mike? Nicole and the kids are well, I hope. Where are you? What's the job? I'd like you to kill Santa Claus. I'm looking for the fat man. You can't be serious. This is what people actually think of me. Christmas is a farce. I am a joke. What's the purpose of your visit? Hunting. I'm gonna kill some things. There is a rising number of our youth making poor decisions. What the big man's head? Severed heads rot, they mold. They don't want his beard. I'm not shaving off a dead man's beard. Your workers sure have healthy appetites. That's why elves live much longer than humans. And Chris, he does the same. No, it's a giving that keeps him young. Immortal idealistic icon Santa has to face the reality of economic downturn, collapse of social cohesion, entitlement of modern youth, and the pervasion of the military-industrial complex in America. Sound like an interesting idea? It surely was, until it was written, filmed and released as Fat Man, starring Mel Gibson. Alternatively, a rowdy, unorthodox Santa Claus is fighting to save his declining business. Meanwhile, Billy, a neglected and precocious 12-year-old, hires a hitman to kill Santa after receiving a lump of coal in his stocking. James, is this festive frivolity or absolute shit? What did you think of Fat Man? I've not seen Bad Santa or films like it, so this was a first-time experience for me, this dark Santa. The twist on Santa lore that was here was very fun. Santa, as a business, with a budget and staffing concerns, was funny. The idea that fewer good children leads to lower production and therefore less income was such a good idea. I thought it was very fun. He's a rowdy man, but his commitment to the ideals of his job hold him back from success. It was a very interesting idea, I thought. However, it's a B-movie assassination plot. Your full attention is not needed. An assassin is hired. He tracks Santa. They fight. That's it. All the stuff with the US military where he gets a contract with them. I would have liked to see a bit more of that. I did think that was that was good. It dragged a little bit before the climax when the actual tracking of Santa is happening. I was just waiting for the confrontation to come. But it runs fine. It's it's short. It was pleasant. I was surprised by the level of violence, maybe because I have not seen the trailer for it. It's a bloodbath at times. It's a bloodbath. The kills come hard, but they come without any weight. People are just disposed of with double tap and a headshot and I didn't really like that not that I'm against violence because you can listen to our possessor review to hear how much we love seeing violence but there was the violence in here just was a bit meaningless 
that could have been matched with more foul language. And we know that Mel Gibson is capable of delivering that. Again, it's a B-movie, nothing to write home about with the visuals, with how it's shot. It's all very grounded to the point where the elves, when they do appear, seem a bit out of place because everything is so normal and pedestrian. Colours, movement of the camera, it's all quite normal. I think the four main characters could have benefited from turning up the dial a little bit on being slimy, motherly, creepy, hardened, rugged. When it's quite plain in the other areas, the characters could have been a bit more exaggerated and lively to do more, give it all a bit more. But Mel Gibson is good. He's the standout in this, I thought. It made me think that old Mel Gibson could have been something very special if it wasn't for everything that's gone on. With his character, you can see the burden that he carries, his loss of faith, and that raises the material up a little bit. Overall, entertaining B-movie. What did you think of Fat Man? I'm not going to lie, I was pretty amped for this. I don't know why. I'd read that it had some fur to Midland reviews, but then I read some pretty positive reviews on IMDb, poo-pooing the critical consensus, and I thought, this is Mel Gibson haters doing all they can to make him pay for his previous indiscretions. And we all make mistakes. Give the man a break. He's too old for this shit. Lethal weapon reference. So I came into this with an open mind and a bit of you know, positivity about it. The premise is as absurd as believing that an overweight white man makes his way down hundreds of chimneys every year, helps himself to food and drink, and still hasn't been arrested. So read the synopsis about this before you watch it, and if you already think this sounds like absolute nonsense, it's not your kind of film. For me, I thought, this is Father Christmas with a gun. I, I'm along for this ride. I'm I'm so geared up for this. But despite the setup, the film feels like it's going out of its way to compensate for the very fact that it's ridiculous. It's so grounded in reality that the acting is played really straight. Father Christmas's attire is quite understated. It's not the colourful, joyous image that you used to. You don't see any of the fantastical elements to the magic of Santa. Other than the elves have these ear prosthetics. That's as weird as you get and fantastical. Walton Goggins, I really, really, really like him as an actor. I used to watch The Shield and he was great in that. This is a bit of a different turn for him. He's sufficiently devoid of any real human emotion, as you would expect from a cold and calculated killer. So that worked for me. Mel Gibson, as you said, he's he's perfectly good as Father Christmas and a world-weary one at that. And at first, I thought, I like this. You're making an old-school hitman or assassin thriller, but set in the festive period, featuring Father Christmas as a target, brilliant. But the more it went on, I thought, you are trying too hard to counteract the silliness of the plot by playing it too straight. And it's affecting the way that the supposed comedy lands, and I'm not having too much fun with it. It swings too far into the genre that it's trying to riff on. And it would have worked far better for me as a spoof. And I think that's kind of what it wanted to be, but it just didn't go full throttle for it. Ultimately, for me, it builds to a third and final act that's devoid of any real excitement. I just wanted a fun, inventive adult Christmas film because this premise had some real potential, but it lacks imagination and any real visual flair to it. It's not awful. It's just not great. 
my biggest compliment that I can give it is that it's distinctly average and it's still better than Mank. Yes, well said. I was pumped for this as well. And I don't really know why. I just was. I think the concept is so good. But yeah, it does lack style. Like the scene when he puts on the red jacket, he just puts it on and then walks out. And that's supposed to be him suiting up on Christmas Eve to go and deliver presents. But there's no direction or style or emphasis on any any Mm -hmm. of it. It's just a wide shot of him putting on the red jacket and then walking out. So you could have shown this weird variation of Santa suiting up like a superhero, but he's just putting on a red jacket. I don't know, there was like there was just nothing done with it. The script says he puts on his red jacket, and that's what they filmed. He puts on his red jacket and he walks out. And a lot of it was like that. Yeah, kind of said it already, I suppose. But it's very competently shot. There's nothing wrong with how it's filmed. There's no glaring errors where you're like, what the hell's going on here? But it's just... There's no ownership or director's trademark on it. It's just very bland, I felt. I'm disappointed. How was disappointed? Yeah. The poster implies a lot of fun in the film because it's Mel Gibson in the red jacket with his hood up. He's got a gun in one hand and he's got the naughty nice book in the other hand. But there's there's none of that there. There's jokes in there, like when Mel Gibson's wife, played by Marianne Jean-Baptiste, gives him the list, she says, have you checked it? And he says, no, I'm sure it'll be fine. So that there's a joke there. That is a joke about he's writing his list, he's checking it twice. But they don't do anything with it. She just says, have you checked it? And he says, I'm sure it'll be fine. What's the timing of it? And yeah. you're not trying to draw anything out of that. You've just had them say it. And I and I had to do the legwork in my own head and think that's, that's probably a joke. That's why I feel like it comes back to tonally. It just doesn't know what it wants to be. It is inserting quite a lot of comedy, actually. I did notice it. I can't say I picked out that particular moment, actually. That sounds really funny, and I didn't even notice. But it exists. It's there within the scripts. But like I say, it's, it's trying to play it too straight, and it, it did not land for me at all. Do you know what it is? I haven't reviewed Batman, and I know that's not really in any shape or form of comedy. There's so many elements of seriousness in that film and dramatic weight, but in this... It does. It really struggles to find that middle place with the whole thing. It's too much of a serious drama for you to find the comedy in it. That's what I thought, anyway. Yeah, I agree. And that awful, slimy, amoral, rich kid, even that is underplayed. And I don't blame the actor. I think it probably is the director's fault for not giving him more of a creepy streak. Another bit that was funny is the military captain, when he comes in, and he sees the way the workforce operates. And he's talking to Santa about how things work, and he learns that the elves have numbers because that's more efficient than having names, and that they never sleep. They just take eight 20-minute naps throughout the day, which adds up to enough sleep. And you can see the captain going, oh, this is such a good way of working. And the joke is that he's seeing this horrible exploitation, and he's thinking, this is such an amazing way of working. We have to do this. But it's not drawn out at all. That humour, that idea of him being inspired by this exploitation, they don't do anything with it. It's just there in the script and it's just left there. I I think that's what I found most frustrating. It's a really clever idea to do this sort of film, but it's just not, to use a similar word, it's not exploited in the way that it should have been. This was rife for having a good time and a bit of fun and drawing some interesting ideas out of that sort of thing, but it just doesn't bother because the script is just a bit too lazy, in my opinion. These two brothers, who is it? Eshom and Ian Nelms, I believe. They're right and, and direct, so you'd think it would be more of a complete vision, but 
It's not. We're coming down on this a lot harder than I thought we would. I'm, I'm coming mm. down on it harder than I thought I would because I had a fine time with it, but now that we're talking about it, the more we talk, the less I think of it. Like I say at the beginning, I've re- I did really want to like it, and I'm not saying... In fact, let's just get to it, James. Would you recommend Fat Man? I'd love to say yes, just out of spite for Mank, but no, I wouldn't recommend it. Daniel, would you recommend Fat Man? For the very same reason, I would love to do the same, but I just feel as though there's too much other choice out there when it comes to... Specifically, it's a Christmas special this episode. We're reviewing a Christmas film. There's plenty of other stuff to watch. You don't need to watch this. It's okay. Who wants to waste their Christmas Eve on an okay film? Not me. Shall we go into spoilers for Fat Man? Yes. Bruce Willis. Real name is Tyler Durden. Sank at the end. Oh, thanks a lot. Spoilers. Predictably enough, Skinny Man, the assassin, eventually finds his way to Santa's workshop. He massacres the US military guards who are overseeing Santa's workshop because Santa's workshop is now producing parts for fighter jets. It's a Arnold Schwarzenegger commando-style infiltration and utter massacre of these guards who put up no opposition at all. Showdown with Santa. Skinny Man kills Santa with a knife to the back and a headshot at close range, but then Mrs. Claus, Ruth Kringle, kills Skinny Man, doesn't he? This is bad, I'm forgetting whether that happens or not. Is that what happens? Does she kill him? No, I don't think she does, does she? Is not one of the elves? I'm forget. I've literally seen it two hours ago, and I can't remember. That is awful. I thought she shot him and then ran inside, and then, oh, maybe that's where she kills him. Who not? You know what? It's, it's inconsequential. It does not matter, because it doesn't make any impact on the film. It doesn't matter. Who knows? And Santa, who has Wolverine-like healing powers, that is established earlier in the film, fair enough, he heals up. He visits the young boy that hired Skinny Man, and threatens him quite violently for the kid to be nice from now on. And that's it. That's Fat Man. And what I wanted from that, and it's probably far removed from what the rest of the film sets up because he's quite a kind-spirited human being, is Father Christmas in this film. But I just wanted him to kill that despicable little fucker. I hated him. I hated him. I wanted him dead. And he just approaches it in a very diplomatic way. And I thought, no, don't do that. Just kill him. Please. Ah, well, that's the film that we've got. And we have seen in Possessor, well, I don't want to spoil Possessor, a boy getting shot in the head is something we can take on this podcast, we've established. True, true. And just to go back to that point that you said as well, about a lone gunman comes in and obliterates the US military. You know, I'm not approaching this film with a, oh, come on, that's not realistic, because that's not what this film wants to be. It didn't feel right. I thought this guy's pretty adept at carrying out singular killings on a contract. He's not used to going into a mass building and killing loads of people. I I, I don't know. I just thought lazy writing again. And I I will say one other thing about the villain in this, Walton Goggins. Early on, there's this setup to he was disappointed as a child, as is the little kid in this who puts the contract out on Father Christmas. But he keeps us a keepsake, in a glass cabinet, this car that he got for Christmas from Santa Claus. And if you're going to do that, if you're going to exhibit something, it must mean a whole hell of a lot to you. But then at the very end, he just takes it out of the glass cabinet and throws it at Santa Claus. Pretty piss poor throw. Just falls in the snow. 
and that's it. And I thought, well, what, I don't get you. I don't get what you're trying to do. I don't get your motivation here because it just not it's not clicking with me. That whole bit just yeah didn't land with me either. If I'm honest. And if he got the car, he must have been a good boy at some point, but that wasn't looked at. And like you say, when he throws the car, it doesn't even reach Santa. It disappears into the snow and that's it. It doesn't even have a sound effect. It just <laughs> disappears and that. Well, that's the end of that. Yeah. I will say, though, so the bit where they've got a bit of a fist fight and the wrestling in the snow, and then he's got this sword contraption built into his knee so that he knees him in the back and that just stabs straight through Mel Gibson. I thought I was pretty neat. I, li- I liked that. I thought, oh, this is graphic. Yeah. Nice. I like it. Don't love violence, but that was my reaction. Then shoots him in the head. I thought, oh my word, you've ended on a high. You've done the unexpected. You've killed Father Christmas. And then they ruin it again because he comes back at the end. He, oh, he's not dead. Because like you said, and I missed it, the established, he has healing powers. So of course he's all right. Yeah, any little glimmer of hope that I had in the film for, oh, that's a good idea. They just kind of quashed it somehow with something else that happened later on. Yeah, like with hiring Santa's workshop to produce parts for fighter jets, saying that out loud, that's funny, that's a good idea, but it is just, it gets said, this is what's happening, and the elves don't react to it, nothing is said, it's never mentioned again. It just is a way to establish that the military are there for them to get shot later on. Not that positive to end a Christmas episode, but at least, dear listener, we've told you what you shouldn't watch. And that, within itself, is a gift, is it not? Yes, I think it absolutely is. Bear in mind as well, additional rental fee for this. So you're signed up to any subscription services. You've got Christmas films at your disposal. You don't need to be doing this. Yeah, Mariah Carey's Christmas special on Apple TV+, Plus, for example. You watched that yet? No, I'm, I'm going to, though. I'm going to. Look forward to hearing about that do you have any more thoughts on fat man before we wrap up see what i did no 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 well in the meantime if you have any christmas wish lists perhaps that you want to send over to us we will not fulfill any of them um similarly any film related questions or feedback email us at in the aisles podcast at gmail.com james instagram in the aisles podcast join Famous actress Brianne Davis and follow us. From now until next week, dear listeners, eat, drink, be merry, while socially distanced and responsible. And remember, as a wise elf once said, the best way to spread Christmas cheer is singing loud for all to hear. We're not going to do that, though. <laughs>